So, today's daf is Ayin Bet, or the daf we're doing today, 72, and um, we are continuing to move through the Mishnah, and I think you're starting to get an idea why they like doing uh, Merubah and the Yeshivas, because they're like, like, it's one juicy sugya after another, so we just dealt with all these questions about a Shechita, Shina, Ru'uya, Shechting it, and then, is it fit for consumption or not, Kim Lebed Rabi Minei, Shechting it on Shabbos, questions about when the thing is Asur Bahana'ah, um, when it uh, when it's a shohaniskal or it's shechted to avodah in that type of a case, um, it's obvious. Forget shchita shenuri. It's obviously be no payment because you're shechting something that's worthless, or if it's also banas considered to be not owned by the owners, and so on. So now, within the like immediately continuing in that context, the next line in the Mishnah is the shchita shenuri discussion. If something is shechted for chulin bazara or it's shechted and it's a trefa, so. Tanakama says you're still chayv, you still had a shechita on it, and Rabbi Shimon says that you are patur because this is a shechita sheina ruiyat, a shechita that cannot be eaten. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara because once again we're going to have the problem. Trace is fine, that makes sense, it can't be eaten, but you can get hana. But shulin bazara should fall put us back into that category of Isurei Hana'ah, something you can't derive benefit from because we're going to presume that the Chulin Bazar is forbidden in Hana'ah. And therefore, the question is going to be, well, you forget Shechit Hashem You know, when you, by, the, by the time you basically finish shechting it, it's, no, it's worthless, it's no longer the owners, etc. So why would anybody say you're chayef? So let's take a look. So it's four lines from the top of line, Zedem Ralev. HaShoreid Vrim says Trefa. I'm only Rav Chavivi Mikhuzana'al Ravashi. So Rav Chavivi Mikhuzana'al said Ravashi. Shmamina, we can infer from this Mishnah, that the act of Shechita is considered to take place only at the last minute. Okay, when you actually, like, you know, Shechita is the cutting of the trachea and the esophagus, the majority of both. So anything you do to get up to, like, 49%, 50% of the cutting of the trachea and the esophagus, that's not yet the act of Shechita. Okay, the act of Shechita is that last bit going from 50% to 51%. All right. Now, even within saying it like that, you know, you got to think about exactly how you want to frame it because if that's really true, that you're only considered to do a shechita at that last bit, so then why isn't everybody always shechting the trefa? Because by the time you get to the 51%, the animal already has a cut trachea and an esophagus and it's not going to live. So you could say, well, you know, fine. That's the, that's, the way, that's the way it gets done. But anyway, somehow, we don't just say that the, you're defined as doing the act of shechita from the beginning, the act of shechita is the final bit that actually makes it shechted. Okay, that's eno l'shechita l'besof. So that's, as opposed to yeshno l'shechita mitchili b'yatsof. From the minute you begin cutting, we call that the process or, of the shechita, or the act of shechita. So what difference does that have? So even because eno l'shechita l'besof, the yeshno l'shechita mitchili b'yatsof, if you say that it's considered shechita from the moment you begin shechting, so even the shechit porta asra, as soon as you began to shecht it, you have now shechted Chulin Bazara. When did you do an act of Shechitas Chulin Bazara? So I, that's what you're doing. So he says, well, from the minute you began cutting. Now, of course, Tosus points out, if you stopped in the middle before you got to the end, retroactively you never would have done a Shechita. You would have just nicked an animal's neck, right? But if, right, or cut a quarter of the trachea, that's not a Shechita. But assuming you're going to complete it, then we will in hindsight say the Shechita began from the beginning of the cutting. And therefore, from the beginning of the cutting, you are doing a Shechitas Chulin Bazara. 
Zara. And that's the moment it became Asr Bahana'a. From the time the act of Shita began, that's the assumption of Yeshnal Shita Mitrilavi Atsov. The Isakadaitik Yeshnal Shita Mitrilavi Atsov came in the Shachipa Porta Asra. When you begin to shecht it, that you've made it forbidden as Chulin Bazara. Idach, now as you continue from going from 5% to 51%, so Lav the Mari Katavach. You're shechting something that's already Asr Bahana'a and therefore is either considered not to belong to the owner or to be, which is literally what the Gemara says, or to be worthless, and therefore you are not Chayev. Okay, now, um, the uh, obvious answer to this would be one minute. If the act of Shechita for Chulin Bazara begins from the first moment, let's say the act of Shechita for Shechting to be Chayev 4 and 5 begins from the first moment, right? So therefore, from the moment you begin, you've made it Chulin Bazara and you've done a Shechita of something that is considered to be the owner's. Because let's imagine that you have, what's the alternative? The alternative is Einal Shechita El Lubisov. So from going from 50% to 51%, that's when you made it Chulin Bazara. Good. When did you, when were you Chai 4 and 5? Also, when you went from 50% to 51%. So if the Chai 4 and 5 comes at the same time as it becomes Asr Bahana'ah, you're still Chai. The only time you'd be Potter is, first it became Asr Bahana'ah, and then you did the Shechita. At that stage, you'd be exempt. Well, why don't we say here, they're also coming at the same time. The act of making Chulim Bazar begins at the, first, at the beginning of the act, and the act of being Chai 4 and 5 begins at the beginning of the act. So that seems to be like the obvious answer. So that's what the Gemara says. So one minute, let's see the Gemara's answer. Um, no, when you're Chai 4 and 5, you're also Chai for the beginning, the little beginning that you've done. So it's the same story. So Amalei Ravasi, so Ravasi said, no, no Sidchi, don't push that off. Utvacho kula be'inan veleka. Somehow, because the pasuk says, I don't know why the gemara takes it so much for granted, but it doesn't say just the word you are shachat, but utvacho. I don't know if it's the word tvich as opposed to shchit or the vav. You shall shecht it. Okay, so which means that the chiv comes only when you fully shecht it, which to a certain degree makes sense because if you understand that part of the problem here is it's not so much a ritual act as the shchita vis-a-vis your chiv of four and five, but it's the nishtana bechayd or nishtarish bechayd. So then to some degree, right, you want to say that even if it's considered to begin the act of Shechita, the Chiyav comes when you have fully have the impact of your actions. Okay, so therefore, no, the Chiyav comes at the end of the Shechita, but if the process begins at the beginning, then you've made it Aser Behana before the person is Chayav, and therefore they should never be Chayav. That's the question. Yes, Michael. So does that also mean, just if I say, let's say, that Yeshim and Shechita so, but in the middle of Shechita, then I can then match it to God, and then it would be good, and it would be a good Korban? Um, well, that's an interesting question uh, because, again, that raises a question about something that became kadosh when it already had, like, assuming that you had begun it, on, and like, to the, like, was it already a trefa? If you were to stop here, well, you already made it a trefa. So, like, I don't know. I mean, it's one thing to say that you know that, like, it's in the middle and we don't consider it a trefa because it's part of the process. But to make it a korban and change its status and whatever, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. But I mean, maybe yes. But I, 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 my gut is that the answer is no because it's already a trefer from that perspective. Like from the perspective it begins as a korban, at this moment it already has a partially cut mm-hmm. trefer. But I do want to say, because uh, you mentioned Kachim, that Rashi says an, another nafkamina for this question is if you remember in all of uh, Zvachim, the whole question is somebody shechs a korban and has a thought to eat it in the wrong place at the wrong time, that has a thought of shaloli shmo. So Rashi says this question is defined when is the time the person could have that thought, right? If the person had that thought, 
but when the act began, but not when he got to the final cut. You know, that's not it's like it's a separate cut; it has to be one movement. But not when he got to the you know final part of going to fifty-one percent. Then he, it would not be a thought of pigul, right? If you say it's if it's only basof, but if it's mitzchil of yatsof, then any thought during that process would be a thought to affect the status of the korban. Yeah. The question is, in terms of tzvacho, and you know, we said, oh, the destruction needs to trefa. Okay, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Can you give a rishon or something? Right. Would it be the same thing if I just shot it? Yes, no, if you shot it, then for you, we discussed it before. Yeah. And that, that's not shita. Then that's like uh, an act of just killing it. So everybody agrees. Forget the, the, uh, the shita shenari. Everybody agrees your potter in that case. Yeah, but if you say, again, which is weird. Or, I understand. Yeah. But the Torah doesn't say if you destroy it. The Torah says if you sell it or you shecht it. Both of those are also not just ways of hurting the owner, but of enriching yourself. So that's part of the process. Um, but anyway, but yeah. So, I mean, if it was not shachas v'nim satrefa, but shachas you messed up in the shechita and you made it in a veila then everybody says you're part of that's not a masa shechita okay so the Gemara so still's got this problem your shechiva 4 and 5 comes at the end of the act but if you made it if the act of shechita is at the beginning and you made it chulin bazar in the beginning then, then you're, it's already after behanan you won't be chayiv for the end of the act so elakasha so what are you going to do so Malay, Hakiyama Rav Gamda, Mishmeh the Rava, Kigon Shishachat, Mixta Siman in Bachut, the Gaman Bifnim. Ah, that's clearly Pshad of the Mishnah. So what you did is, you had the animal, yeah, you gotta imagine, like you had the animal one step outside, right? Here, you know, you know, here's the, here's the Azara. Okay, here's your animal, okay, and you're shechting your animal here, here's your knife, okay, anyway, you're shechting your animal, so you start it, and maybe you're walking with it, because remember, if like you hesitate, or you stop, and you start again, you passel the shechita, so anyway, maybe you're like walking with the animal, so you do the first 49%, or 50%, outside the azara, so you haven't yet make it chulim bazara, and then as you're getting to 51%, you somehow you're walking together with it, and you made it chulim bazara, so the moment that you're Chai 4 and 5 is also the moment you made it Chulim Bazara. It's a pretty ridiculous description. The Gemara y- yesterday, you remember, said that when you said that when you, it was a question of doing an act of Avodah Zarah, it said that you said I'm only offering this up at the end of the act. That you could say because you don't have to do something physically weird. You just have to designate when are you intending to offer to Avodah Zarah. But here it's a physical question. When, where was the animal when it was shechted? Was it in the Azara or not? Okay, so that's what says. You were walking in as you basically were finishing the Shechita. Okay, Iqadamasnilaha. Some teach this debate. It started from the other end, not from our Mishnah, but from the pers- debate about wh- how, when is, what's the process of Shechita. Reb says in the name of Reb Levi the Elder. Shechita is considered to occur at the last moment. No, it's from the beginning to the end. The only way, one minute, if, it, if, if, it's, if it's from the beginning to the end, the only way I can make sense of that position, because I'm going to, in terms of our Mishnah, is that Chulin Bazar is not biblical. Now, there's an interesting question. Does that mean that there's no biblical prohibition? Because, you know, the Torah it says, like, is the place of this distance from you, you know, uh, what's the prophet, Michael? Um, whatever. Anyway, somehow, I, I can't remember the Pasuk Hazam. Dove? Any help there? 
Anyway, so somehow the Pesach says that when the place is distant from you, you should slaughter your animals and eat them. So the Gemara's direction is, You can only shecht non-kachim animals outside, not close. But that's like an inference. So when we say, does that mean that it's really even Minatora Mutter to do? So it never explicitly says you're not allowed to shechulin. Or the more common understanding is, no, no, no. Everybody agrees, Minatora is Osir to shecht chulin bazara. They agree to that Russia. The question is, what's the status of the animal if it were done? Right? Because there's certainly nothing in the Pesach that says that the animal is Osir Bahana. So he says, the only way I'm going to explain um, this position of Yeshen L'Shchita Mitzchila V'Yatsov is to say that Minatora, the animal, is not forbidden in Hana'ah. Okay, it does not become forbidden. And then I will be able to explain our Mishnah. Right? Because then our, because again, it's the same problem. If the Shkulim Bazar begins at the first second, how will you chayef four and five by the time you finish it? It's already Yasser B'Hanah. So he says, oh, I got an answer. The Yasser Hanah is not from the Torah. And therefore, since it's only rabbinic, it's not going to get in the way of you being chayef four and five. Since through the Torah lens, you're still, it still belongs to the owner. It still is Mutter B'Hanah. So as opposed to this weird answer of walking the animal in. He's rabbinic four or five. It's a, what? No, the opposite. It's, it's a biblical four and five. No, Re- thing, but can you even say everything? Oh, why don't you say that the rabbis making it Asher Bahana prevented you from paying four and five? You could say that, so I'll, I was going to say it in a minute, but I'll stop for a moment. Tosa says one minute. Does that mean that anytime something is Asher Bahana rabbinically, it would not have this impact on four or five? We earlier discussed bringing something as a Tikrovis Avodazara, as an offering to Avodazara. Um, and the Gemara said there that that would stop you from being high four and five because you wouldn't be shechting something that was belonged to the owner, etc. This is for one minute. There are some opinions that that's only Asr Bahanam Yudurabanan. So, why, you know, if we're saying we ignore the Durabanan status, why there are you putter? So, Tos says, no, here's the difference. There, whether it's Durais or Durabanan, it's status. Everybody agrees that the status is that it's Asr Bahana'ah. So, yes, it's not like we always bracket Durabanans. We live in a world of Durabanan realities. Why should we bracket the Durabanan reality? You know, it's like the Gemara says, if somebody tries to marry a woman on Erev Pesach with some chametz that's only Asr Bahanami Durabanan, the woman isn't married. We tend to write because the rabbis sort of define our reality. So sure, if it's Asr Bahanami Durabanan, if Tikrova Savodazar is Asr Bahanami Durabanan, you're not high four and five. But what it means when you say that Tzuchun Bazar is Durabanan means, if it's Durabanan, it means that you believe the rabbis never made it forbidden Bahana'ah. Maybe they made it forbidden Bahila, but they never made it forbidden Bahana'ah. So say Chulin Bazar is Durabanan is really a way of saying it's not really Asr Behanan, not Doraisa and not Durabanan. Okay, like, so if you want to see that in Tosvos, okay, take a look at Tosvos, because we have a little extra time today, given the size of the doll. Tosvos, Tosvos, very top of Ayn Bet Amadbet. Oh, okay. If it was only a rabbinic problem of Asr Behana'ah, it sounds like uh, you would be Chai 4 and 5. It would be considered belonging to the owners. If that's true, we should infer that offerings from Zara are forbidden by Nadeh Oraisa because the Gemara said if it was if it was a Tikrovas of Zara you wouldn't be high four and five. He's come alive, Rav Meir Shochel of Zara, my Machayev, etc., etc. So then Tosus goes and he asks all these questions and then the end Tosus says the following. Um, so what's his answer? He says. So if you look down, you look where it's, you see where it says Ubeh Zara in the parentheses at the end of a line. 
Everybody sees that? Do you see that? Like one, two, three, four, five, yeah. like seven lines down in the narrow lines. And the, you're, no, Hanan, you're in the wrong Tosos. I am better Mudbat. Okay? So, he says there, if you go two lines below that, he says, Okay? Okay. So, anyway, maybe I shouldn't have read the Tosas inside because it's too, whatever. It's too embedded there. But Tosas' basic point is the following, is that it is possible that something is Asher Durabanan and it would have a Durabanan implication, like, you know, a certain type of rabbinic chametz on Pesach and so on. But here what the Gemara means is, is that if it's Asher Durabanan, it's not even Asher Bahana'ah. Okay? So back to the Gemara. So we got this problem. Why are you high four and five? It says it must be Chulim Bazar's Durabanan. The Yisakadaitich Doraisa, if Chulim Bazar was Doraisa, forbidden in Hana'ah, when you began the Shechita, you made it to Raisa forbidden in Hana'ah. And then if you continue to check it, it was no longer belonged to the owner. So again, same argument. It must be, it must be either, it's a, either, either you have to reject the position of Yeshen Shechita Mitzchil V'yatsof, or here we have a new answer. Fine, Yeshen Shechita Mitzchil V'yatsof. It becomes Chul and Bazar at the beginning. But that's only a Durabanan status. Okay, it's not really Yasser B'hana'ah. So the Gemara says, "Am I Ravach Abrei the Rava? No, Kika Mechayev Nani Yahu Porta. No, 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 no. We could say it's Asher Behanaf from the beginning of the process, but the beginning of the process is also when you're Chayev for four and five. So Amalei, it's the same thing we said before. Amalei Ravashi Lo Tibchei. Don't push it off by saying that. Oh, the beginning, four and you're, you're Chayev four and five at the beginning. You can't say that. Utvacho Kulo Be'inan Veleka. When it says you slaughter it, you have to slaughter the whole thing. You're only Chayev four and five at the end of the process. So if you're only Chayev four and five at the end." And the shrit is at the beginning, and the shrit makes it asher behana'ah. We got a problem. So answer number one is you reject the idea that the shrit begins at the beginning. Answer number two is you reject the idea that it becomes asher behana'ah at the beginning. That the status of chulin bazar is asher behana'ah. We don't hold of that. It's not the right, so we don't hold of it at all that it's asher behana'ah. And here's answer number three. Um, so we just did that. Ela kasha. So it's difficult. Amalei hachi amalei rav gamda mishmed rava kikam echayiv going to shachat makes us simanim b'chutz gamran this funny little story about walking the animal in. Okay, no, here's a way in which you did the act of Chulun Bazara only at the end. You were walking the animal in and only when you got to that last little bit did was it in the Azara and that's when you shechted it. Alright, very nice. So it's another application of this question of whether the process of Shrita starts at the beginning or only starts at the end with the Gemara saying that when it comes to the Chiv of Form 5 that's obviously at the end not obviously but it is at the end regardless of how you define the act of Shrita elsewhere. Okay, moving on now to the next Mishnah. Alright, the next Mishnah gets us back to the question of Adim. Before we had a question of two Adim about the Gnev and two Adim about the Tzvich and Mechira. And the question was Davar and Chasi Davar, right on a full figure half thing. Now we turn to a very central place of the Gemara's discussion about the idea of Adim Zomimim. Because that's going to be the topic in the Mishnah. Elsewhere where it talks about Adim Zomimim, like in Makos, it talks about assuming the Adim have been found Zomimim, what punishment do you give them? Or, in Sanhedrin, and it talks about Adim Zomimim and it's the process of, of, of the testimony the other witnesses give to make the first witnesses Zomimim like they say you were with us on such and such a day and so on this is, has to do well we'll see what this has to do with but the focus is going to be when do they become Zomimim so let's take a look this is a real juicy sugya okay so somebody stole on the testimony of two witnesses and then he slaughtered or sold it by, on the testimony of the same witnesses 
and it was discovered that those witnesses were false witnesses. Now again, just to make it clear, okay, what, means, what does Zomimi mean? It doesn't mean, if you have 100% incontrovertible evidence that they were lying, because I don't know, you had a videotape or something like that, okay, um, or I don't know, let's say you had some proof that the, the cow had already been sold somewhere else at the same time or whatever, okay, whatever the case might be, they're not Zomimi. They're, they're lying at him, okay, they're contradicted at him, but they're not Zomimi. Even if it's incontrovertible, let alone if what you have is two witnesses say, you know, he slaughtered it on that day, and two other witnesses say, no, he didn't. He was with us on a on an overseas trip, you know, up in the air, whatever that you know, with us that day. So it's two contradictory testimonies. That's not Zomimi. In that you case, throw out the, you, throw, you throw out both testimonies because you don't know who to believe. Okay, but my point is, even if you knew absolute evidence that they were that that that, that what they said was false based on some other type of concrete evidence. They wouldn't be Zomimim. The only way they're Zomimim is if two other witnesses come and say, you couldn't know what you're testifying about what happened that day because you were with us somewhere else. So they're not testifying about, the key is, they're not testifying about the facts. They're testifying about the witnesses. They're saying, you are, not, now we can infer you're lying because I'm saying that something else happened. I'm actually directly testifying about you that you are lying. Okay, that, that you have given false testimony. Um, and that's what makes them zombie. Now the question is, even there, why do you believe the, the, the latter ones over the former ones? One way I think that's a helpful way of thinking about it, one of the we've shown him say, and Tosa sort of alludes to this, is... Because if you're testifying directly about the person, there's a way in which you would always be, it would be, ob- I don't know, obvious you'd be believed. Let's say Ruben and Shimon come and testify something happened, and then Levi and Yehuda come and they bring testimony that Ruben and Shimon were, I don't know, relatives to the person they were testifying about. Or they testify that Ruben and Shimon were Gazlanim and Pasul Edus. Okay? So then you wouldn't say, oh, well, why do you believe Levi and Yehuda? Believe Ruben and Shimon. Because Ruben and Shimon weren't testifying, you know, about the things Levi and Yehuda were. Right? Reuben and Shimon were testifying about the facts, and Levi and Yehuda were testifying that they were puzzled Okay? So in that case, you would believe Levi and Yehuda and you throw out the testimony. So what this becomes, one way of thinking about it is, you know, it's like Levi and Yehuda, when you're saying to Reuben and Shimon, you were with us, well, we're not going against what you're explicitly, I mean, you are sort of, when you're saying you saw something, you're explicitly saying you were there and whatever. But nevertheless, what we're effectively doing is not debating your, you know, your testimony. We're talking about your status and we're sort of talking about and, and invalidating you and somehow that leads to this idea that I mean not leads to but that's the you know something along those lines is the explanation of the Chiddush that we believe the second cut of witnesses to say that the first one was with them and we throw out the first we believe the second and not only do we throw out the first testimony but we apply the law of the Torah which is Vasitem Lo Kasher Zamam right we punish them as they would have done to others so there are other situations in which we throw out the testimony competing testimonies about the facts, okay, or contradictory evidence. Like here, here's the case for my has contradictory evidence. I say Ruben, you know, two witnesses testify Ruben killed Shimon, and the way the Gemara described it very uh, colorfully, Shimon shows up in court. <laughs> okay, so it's very clear the witnesses are lying. All right, but nevertheless, they're not Adam Zomimim. All right, Adam Zomimim. There are other cases we throw out the testimony, but Adam Zomimim is only when the other cop says you couldn't know that you were with us, and the Chiddush is you believe the second cop and you do kasher zama. Okay, so that's the case in the Mishnah. So two witnesses say Gana Two other witnesses say you can't know any about of that. You were with us that whole time, and then the first group pays four and five to the owner. Yes.
the Apostle Adrian says that's not the Right. The, the second group says you're a puzzle. It's the second group that's not Zomim. Then you throw out the testimony of the first group, but it's not Zomim. Right. 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 Okay, so. Um, okay, Mishami Makal. Ganavai, sorry. Ganav Apishnaim, Vatavachumacha Apishnaim Acherim. Now, let's say what, group number one testified that, 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 that this person was, uh, stole the cow, and group number two testified that they slaughtered or sold it. Okay. Elu the Elunim Suzomim, and both groups are now found to be witnesses. Zomim, because group number three says all four of you were with us at that time. Harishonim Mishamim Tashlumi Kefel, the first group pays the double. Vachronim Mishamim Tashlumi Gimel. And the second group pays three, right? Because the second group, when they testified, were, their testimony would have added three times more of the payment, right? First group says, you, you, you're Ghanif, so you have to pay double. Second group says, you shechted it, or you sold it, so now you pay four and five. So the second group added an additional three payments, an additional three times of the payment. So that's, how, that's what they pay, okay? Now let's say only the second group was found Zomim. So we still believe the first group. So therefore, yours, this first guy, it still assumes that this guy is a Ganav, and he's going to pay Kefo because the first testimony still stands. And the, but the second group, Zomim, they were trying to make this poor Ganav pay more than he had to. So they pay three times to the Ganav. The Ganav pays two times to the owner, and they pay three times to the Okay. Now, let's say only one of the um, the last group is a zoming. Okay, they only said to one of the guys in the last group, "You were with us." So, if you take away one witness, that undermines the entire testimony. But the principle of kasher zomim is only when both witnesses are zomimim. Okay, so when you make one witness a zomim, you void the testimony, but you don't have the rule of kasher zomim. So so echad minachronim zomim. If one of the last group is zomim, but leidus shnia, you throw out the second testimony, so the ganav only pays double, but nobody is paying the additional payments, right? The ganav isn't because you threw out the testimony. The witnesses aren't because they weren't both found to be zomimim. Echad minah zomim. Let's say one of the first one is a zomim. So, but l'kola edus. You throw out everything, right? Because why? Shin ain't gneva, ain't vichavein mechira. If you can't establish that the guy stole it, you know, with a burgle, bur- burgled it, then you're not going to pay the four and five. So, if you threw out the first testimony that he was a ganav, the guy's not going to pay anything. Sure, did I shecht the animal? You, sure, I shechted it. I'm going to claim that I bought it off of the owner. All you know is that I shechted this animal that used to belong to someone else. But we have no testimony that I stole it. I'm going to say I owned it legitimately. Okay? So, therefore, if you throw out the testimony that I stole it, you can't make me pay Kefo. And nobody, the Adem aren't going to pay because none of them were, no group was found to be a Zomanin. So, just everything gets thrown out and, uh, you know, and it's like nobody testified about anything. Okay? So, that's the case of the missing. Yes? You need two witnesses, right? So yeah. How is, they're both testifying about the same evidence right? right so how is one is on the moon and not the other because Ruin and Shimon say that on Tuesday at the you know 9am you know so and so like uh, stole this animal and I say Ruben you can't say that we were out playing baseball Tuesday at 9am so only I've, I, one of the about one of the two is examined. So that's made one of them is examined. That you know voided the whole group, but and but but the group doesn't become a zomim. To be a zomim, mean both of them have to be. But that was enough to make to invalidate his testimony, but not enough to apply the law of Adim zomim. All right, okay. So let's take a look at the Gemara. 
Edmar was taught um, aid zoning. What is the status of an aid zoning? We, when does a person become an aid zoning? Abay Omer Amar so basically somebody testified okay do a little timeline okay here's January 1 okay March 1 and December 1 okay so here is where the two witnesses are standing in court I don't know what am I doing here okay yeah, they're raising up their hand Yes, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. Okay, whatever they are. Okay, here they're testifying, okay? Okay, and they're testifying that an event occurred back here, okay? That here's where the guy did the, you know, here's where he was Ganav and Tavachumachar, whatever they're saying happened back there, okay? Comes December 1, and these other two witnesses say, I should have other colors, but okay, whatever. And they say, up, oh, here's Zomimim. You were with us, okay? Now, what? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. You need a gemar din to be zomim. Okay, but anyway. But uh, but yeah. You mean kasher zomim velo kasher asa? Let's not worry about that. It was a long court case, a lot of delays. <laughs> anyway, whatever. So the question is here. Let's make. There was no Gamardin. Right, there was no Gamardin. Let's make these guys into, di- let's make them different pictures. Okay, so, when did these two guys become Pasola Edus? Let's say they, after they gave this, this testimony, which we now see in hindsight was false, let's say they gave a lot of other testimony in the middle of here. They signed some Shtaros, there's a lot of other, you know, a lot of other testifying. When did they become false witnesses? So Abai said, well, now that here we see that there was Omimim, we now realize, the Torah tells us to believe these later witnesses, so we now realize that back here they were lying. If we realize that back here they were lying, so they transgressed the prohibition of testifying falsely, so somebody who's a, who testifies falsely and transgresses that prohibition becomes an invalid witness. So they become invalid witnesses starting at March 1st, and any testimony they gave from that time on has to get retroactively thrown out. Okay, so we have to go back and see if they were on any documents or whatever, and we have to throw it all out. Because now, although we, we, we found out about it here, retroactively we realized that they were bearing false testimony back here. Okay? Yeah, is that clear? Yeah. Yep. Yeah? Okay. All right, so. Retroactively. No, they only become invalid from this point on. Okay? So... Um, from the moment they testified falsely they are considered a wick, wicked do not you know um, but we basically take out some words and say it means do not have a Russia be a witness so since they transgress the prohibition of testifying falsely that gives them the status of being Rishayim and that means even if and the point here about saying that they're Russia means it's not like we say that everything they testified here we question its veracity maybe it was 100% true but they, it's like if you're a Karov it's like if you're a relative it doesn't matter if it's true because your personal status is a Russia the testimony has no weight in court so it's not like we say oh once you lied here you must lie about everything that's not the point once you lied here you have a technical status of being a Russia and therefore whether it's true or not true everything you testified on since then is invalid okay so that's what Abai says. Um, only from this point on. The whole thing is a chiddush. Why is the whole thing a chiddush? 
Taha, trade training to it's two against two. My chazis tzayis lahani, tzayis lahani. Why do you listen to these guys? These guys say, oh, you were with us at a baseball game. No, we say we were watching uh, somebody uh, steal a cow. So why, you know, why do you believe these over these? So the whole thing is a chiddush. Therefore, you only have the chiddush. Therefore, you only apply their status from the time the Torah sort of, you know, tells you that they become Adim Zalmim. So conceptually what they are saying is, according to Abaye, you know, yes, everybody could, could agree that there's a Chiddush when the Torah says that you believe the latter people. But what is the Chiddush? Abaye says the Chiddush is that the Torah is telling me to believe the veracity of what they said, to believe that therefore they testified falsely. So I'm believing the veracity of what they said and they testified falsely. So now I know that these guys were, fa- were, ba- were bad witnesses going back here. Rava is saying that's not necessarily what the Torah is saying. I mean, Rama, you could say it is. He is. The Torah is telling you to believe in the veracity, but only to believe in it from this point forward. Not believe in it retroactively. Because there's no reason to believe that they are more, more correct than these people. So if you're going to believe in it, it's like, you know, ex- ex- believe in it moving forward. Like, accept that assertion moving forward. But maybe an even sharper way to say it is, maybe the Torah isn't even telling you to believe that they are true and they're false. The Torah is just telling you this is a process that gives these people the status of a zomim. Okay? You know, we don't still know who's telling the truth and who's telling the falsehood. But the way that the procedure of the court says in this circumstance these people are going to be the ones that are going to be labeled the Adim Zomim and we're going to do Kashezam. Now that sounds like a real Chiddush, right? Because why would you go ahead and apply all these punishments if the Torah wasn't telling you, you know, like to actually believe in who's telling the truth? But there's an interesting question about Eid Zomim, which is, you know, the big question about Eid Zomim is that the punishment does not meet the crime, right? It's Kashezaman below Kasher Asa. You're apply- applying to them what they intended to do, not even what they succeeded in doing. So what's the logic of that? Why do they deserve that punishment? So the Ramban points out something, Allah Torah, very important, because there's a couple of parshiot right in the same cluster in the Torah, and like Shoftim, where the Torah has punishments that seem to be outsized for the, uh, for, for, for the crime. Can anybody think of any other punishments that are outsized for the crime, particularly in that area in the Torah? What's like a classic one that we say, oh, the person didn't deserve it, but you do it anyway. Can anybody think? Classic one we say that is Ben Mora, right? We say so much that we deny that Ben Mora ever occurred. Why are you going to have, go and put this kid to, to death just because he disobeyed his parents? Okay? The other two that are right there, now both by Eidzamim and Ben Mora, the Torah says, V'chol Yisrael Yishmu V'yiro. So by saying V'chol Yisrael Yishmu V'yiro, it's basically saying, maybe the, per- the Ramban makes this point. Maybe the person didn't deserve the, the punishment, but it is necessary from a societal perspective to sort of stamped down on this and particularly because these are acts that undermine the institutions of authority right false testimony in court if people think they can get away with that that undermines the court system right rebelling against parental authority okay it's not exactly our idea right now about parental authority to that degree but you know that institute I mean that's you know the primary institution of like uh, authority right you know so therefore if people are going to do things that threaten these institutions you have to take a very harsh approach to make it a very very clear message you do not mess with the courts you do not mess with parents so you know what the other two cases are in the Torah right there of a you movie road anybody know what no it is close it is um, it is a Zakin Mamre 
Okay. What? No, it's, I don't think so. No, the two other two are Zakin Mamre and the uh, the case of the Navi Sheker. Okay, because the Zakin Mamre, right, is a case also undermining the authority of the court in terms of the authority as the sort of not as it's you know adjudicating cases, but it's a sort of it's you know it's judicial role of like you know of like of like making decisions. You know, the authority of who gets to decide what the Torah means. Right, somebody else is going around saying, "Yeah, don't listen to them. Here's what it means." And the other one is you know is the, the Navi Sheker is ultimately undermining God's authority and all of those you could say you know what did they do exactly the Zaki Mamre he postined against the court you're going to put him to death anyway so the Ramban says in all of those cases the real emphasis is not so much that the sin deserved the punishment but that the society deserves that that punishment and he has to be the one that suffers as a result but we have to protect these institutions so anyway the relevance of that here is, is that it's very consistent with Rava's idea of Chidushu you know Chidushu is saying like this is just what the Torah says how we have to handle this case even if the some now I was focusing on that the punishment was outsized but we're still going to assume that the guy obviously did something wrong okay it's a little bit different to say we don't even know whether he did something wrong but nevertheless like what Rav is saying is to some degree even after this we don't really know they lied falsely. If we're going to see it as they lied falsely, it's only going to be from this point forward. But we're really not, we really can't say with confidence even after this, that, oh, now we know they lied falsely. So one way of thinking about it is this process makes an aid in Zomimim without necessarily establishing as a fact that they actually were lying. Which again, to say it that way is a little, too, is a little stark, but the, uh, to some degree he's saying like, okay, if we assume they're lying, it's only from this point forward. Yes? So does what? I mean, uh, I mean, a a person can who is a Russia, just ask in general, like you know, a person who is a Russia can regain their status, right? I mean, the Gemara sort of discusses what you would have to do. Like it's basically a process of tshuva that's not just a tshuva between you and God, but a tshuva that makes it clear to us as a society that you really have in practice like mended your ways. You know, it's actually quite interesting. The Gemara Sanhedrin discusses. Because it's like, it's to be forgiven for God, you know, it's just between me and God, and I really need sincere remorse or whatever. But to be retrusted by society, like the Gemara says, if somebody's a gambler, you know, it's sort of like, you know, in like, like, in like, like in AA or whatever, you know, they, you, know you gotta get out of all of those structures that, like, pulled you back into that lifestyle, right? So the Gemara sort of says, like, if the guy was a gambler, you have to, like, you know, tear up all of, throw out all of his gambling, like, you know, equipment, and he's gotta, you know, he's gotta do very practical things that we can actually be confident as a society that they have changed. So, yes, it is possible to regain your status. Okay? It's not like a permanent status. Okay. okay. Yeah? Sorry. No, yeah. The, Go the ahead. The testimony that, that we're now throwing that out or we're not throwing it out when we're seeing them we, Here? No. So, so, this testimony we throw out. Right. But anything here, because that's part of the Lach of Eidzomen, right. that what they testified is thrown out. But, they, but anything between this and this, yeah. that's still good. Okay, their, their personal status as Adim Zomimim and as Puzzle Adim, and also the personal status that's going to get them punished for what they did, that applies moving forward. Okay, but one of the halachas of making them Adzomimim is you throw out that te- original testimony. Yeah. The Ghanav is off the hook. Yeah. What? The Ghanav is off the original case. Well, he wasn't a Ghanav. He wasn't a Ghanav. Right. So he's off. Exactly. But then Kumar doesn't really focusing on that. Right. Exactly. Now, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Intensifies the question of why. 
because right. really the issue is at root is the authority of the court. Right. And then you should apply that to somebody else who didn't prove them Right, but it's very hard under most cases, right, to know that somebody, it's very hard in general to prove a case of perjury, right? I mean, I think so, because that's not, because it's not enough to know somebody lied, you have to know they were intentionally lying. Anyway, but it's very hard in general to know somebody lied. Like the case I gave that Baharud Baraglov, the murder victim, showed up, you know, but even there you say, well, we were mistaken, it looked like him or whatever, so, you know, in a way the Torah is, it doesn't exactly explain why it limits it to this case, but it's like, you know, you can't, because it's such a harsh punishment, you have to sort of limit the scope of when are you going to assert that you know that these people are like, you know, have perjured and are aiding Zomim. But you're right, in principle, it shouldn't be limited to that. Okay, so somebody says like this. That's one answer. Igadami, some say, others say, Rabbanami Kabaisile, Rabba also holds in principle like Abai. You're right, now we know retroactively they were lying, they were puzzled from this point on, but Amalim Afrehun yourself. So what's the difference then between the approaches? So, Hacha, high new time with Rabba, here's the reasoning of Rabba, Mishum Pseda de Lukuchos, because it's so unfair from everybody who purchased an item with a, a bill of sale or who lent money with a star and they're going to get these people to, to testify they're going to say hey these guys must be good I heard them testify in court the court trusts them and now what you're going to do is you're going to throw out every single testimony over all those intervening months so we can't allow that right we have to say just from a practical perspective that we can you know everybody's always going to be at risk that all their documents are retroactively going to get thrown out because somebody's going to be found months later to be an aid zoning. So we have to basically say, as a Durabanan rule, we're going to allow the testimony to stand. Okay, now, the Gemara says, one, might, might be now, what difference does it make within Rava, whether you say the reason is Chiddush, or whether you say the reason is because of Pseidah de Lukucha. So the Gemara is going to give some Nafkaminas, but the most obvious Nafkaminas it doesn't give, and Tosus gives them. You know what the most obvious Nafkaminas are? When it's not something that's a, an issue of monetary issues. Let's say in the intervening time, they testified that a woman, they, they were witnesses for a woman's marriage, or witnesses for a woman's divorce, right? Or witnesses that somebody, another, somebody committed an act of, uh, was Machal Shabbos. Are you going to say, well, we're going to, we're going to, even though that technically is false, we're going to keep the testimony? No, of course not. You know, issues that deal with personal status, with applying punishments to other people, obviously those testimonies, if we really believe it's false from here, we're going to throw out. The, the idea, the answer of Pseid means within the field of like civil documents, you know, we'll keep those testimonies acceptable. Okay, so that's the most obvious answer, which the Gemara doesn't say, but Tosa says. Take a look at Tosos. Uh, Tosa says, um, where's the toast rose? Um, hold on. One minute. No. Maybe, maybe the previous toast rose. Is it that? find the Tosos. Okay, anyway. Uh, oh, wait, wait, maybe I see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at the Tosos Inami. Look at the bottom of the Tosos Inami. So he says like this. 
about uh, six lines before that Tosus is over. He says, lines start with the word Matsi. He says, Let's say in the interim they testified that somebody was Chayv Misa. We wouldn't keep it if we really think they were false retroactively. Oh, lesser Isha Labala, or women had committed adultery. Anything that's not a civil document, we obviously are not going to keep because of a Takana if we really believe it was false. Okay? So there's a lot of good answers that the Gemara could have said. But now the Gemara is going to give a Nafkanina even within the realm of civil documents. Is the reason we say from here on because it's a Chiddush or because we're trying to protect innocent people in the middle here so we're going to keep the civil documents even though they really should be thrown out. So the Gemara says, my Benayu, what is the difference? So the Gemara says the following, The difference would be two witnesses say this guy was with them and two other witnesses say this guy was with them. So in that case, it's not a Chiddush, because in that case, it's two against one. Right? You get that? The Chiddush here is that it's two against two. If you say, so, oh, that's a Chiddush, so it should only be here on in. But let's say these two said only one guy was with them, and two other witnesses say the other guy, the other guy was with them. So in each one, it's two against one, so it's not a Chiddush. So in that case, if the only reason it was Mikano Haba was because it was a Chiddush, this wouldn't be a Chiddush, and it would be retroactive. But if it's to protect the innocent Lekuchos, we're going to still protect them. Okay? Inami, or another way is, the Paslinu Begazlanusa, what I said before. They said that they were not with us on that day. They said, oh, these two are Gazlanim. That's not seen as a Chiddush. That's seen as you're just testifying to that person's personal status. And you do, without a Chiddush, you would naturally believe the later witnesses. According to the approach that says that the only reason that the whole that the, you believe the latter ones is a chiddush and therefore it's only here on in. So in this case is leka leka. There's not a chiddush here. There's a reason to believe the latter ones and therefore it would apply retroactively. But the one that says in principle it is retroactive, but we need to protect those innocent you know buyers and sellers and creditors and so on. So inka. So even so that all along we were admitting it should have been retroactive. It doesn't matter that it's not a Chiddush. It should be retroactive. But we have to protect all of those, you know, buyers and sellers. So therefore, we're only going to say Mikanul Haba. Okay. The Mar says, Rav Papa Uvda Rav Papa acted like Rava and he basically made them puzzle only from the time that they were Zomimim going forward. Rav Ashi Amar no, we rule like a bai, they're puzzled retroactively. And the Gemara concludes, the we rule like a bai, this is a mnemonic of the cases we rule like a bai, and which one do you think stands for our case? Ayin, Adim Zomim. Okay, so the Ayin is the Adim Zomim. Let's see if I remember what the others are. The Lamed is Lechi HaOmed Me'elav. One of them, oh, the Yud is Yeh Shalomidaz. Uh, the Kuf is uh, no, I'm, I'm not remembering them. Okay, anyway, whatever it is. What, what, are, the, what are the others? Uh, okay. Kedushin. Oh, Kedushin Shalonim Sur Libya, right? And the Gimel is Kilui. Uh, Kilui Milsa Begita. And the Mem? Oh, the Mem is. Uh, 
Okay, very good. All right, anyway, so those are the camps we were like a bias. So the Gemara is going to continue with this debate, even though we know how it concludes, but this is really a fascinating debate about when did it become invalid. Um, what, one answer of Lukuchos is a... It's always interesting to see Chazal just taking practical steps to protect, you know, the normal runnings of society, okay? But, that, you know, but that's not as conceptually interesting. That would be limited to civil documents, not others. But the other position of Rabbi of Rav Mikanul Haba is quite fascinating, saying that this whole thing, we, at the end of the day, we don't really know that they're lying. The Torah tells us to treat them as if they're lying, and that we will only apply moving forward, not retroactively, quite a, you know, a, a radical way of thinking of Edim Zomim, um, and we will continue this, working on this tomorrow. Okay.